I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. I should probably introduce you guys to the to our <laughs> listeners. So I, I have no idea how to introduce you. There is so much to talk about. And it is actually, it's a joy because I, as you walked into the door, I told you I love you already. Like I really do. I really have watched a few of your videos of your work and so on. And I was like, what a wonderful couple. And the fact that you got together to me was like, okay, the universe has a plan here. <laughs> like, you know, there's, there's something there. but. Listeners like formalities, so I might as well just introduce you. Okay, <laughs> guys, this is Vex, this is Kaushal, and yeah, that's your introduction. No, so let's put it this way these are the dream of the millennials. You guys are millennials, right? Yeah, they started on the internet when the internet was young. Uh, Kaushal, you started when you when it was 2010, I think. And yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. As soon as I had my blog, which uh-huh. blogs are they a thing? Blo- my blogs are a thing anymore. And your theme was basically uh, beauty, but in a real way. At least that's Thank what you. I feel. It's, it's not those, uh, you know, YouTube channels where you have um, like extreme makeup skills and so on. It's just real and beautiful in every way. And making, I think probably the reason why people love your work so much is that they see themselves in you. Thank and you. For, with that, guys, she has 2.4 million followers on YouTube. Yeah, and, something around there. <laughs> yeah, and maybe a million elsewhere or something like yeah. that. And, and then uh, Vex, on the other hand, is a, a fantastic author. He also stand, started on the internet, yeah. on Instagram, yeah. where basically you were trying to teach people about well-being and, and happiness and so on. And then you started to publish books as if you're like a printing machine. So you have uh, good vibes, good life, I know, and then healing is the new thing I know. There was one in the middle about love. It was yeah. So closer to love is my closer my latest to love. one. Yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. coming out in February next. Oh, so it didn't come out yet. So it's not out yet. Okay, and it's going to come out today. Yeah. So yes, yeah, <laughs> we're going to talk about that a lot. <laughs> and and then your latest book you're doing together. together. Is uh, is the best? What is it? The best self help book the ever. Greatest, ever. Yeah. The greatest self help book, book ever. Yeah. Right. So so they get together. They build uh, um, uh, um, something. I'm not going to tell you what it is until later in the conversation. That basically is titled by the creator, the greatest self help book ever. With that small subtitle that says. Is the one, one you write yourself. Yeah. Written by you, yep. Yeah, it's one written, written by you. Uh, I also love that you're together co-founders of, uh, of a foundation. So it's uh, your rising circle, yeah, that's which uh, has a s- simple task of creating a world filled with compassion. Yeah, good luck with that. Thank, so, you. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's a big task. It's a big task, but I, thought, I think it's the most needed task in our world today. So I will not talk about any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, look at me. I'm like Middle Eastern, bold, beard, manly in many ways. 
I'm, you know, I'm not the one that goes, oh, when I see a wonderful love story, <laughs> right? I have to say I'm fascinated by how you guys are together and how you show up together and how I had to see some videos about your wedding, which I never do. <laughs> like, literally, I never, ever, I go like, ah, you know, <laughs> can you send me the number, the, you know, the result, like, you <laughs> yeah. know, how many guests who was happy. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's so inspiring. And I think there is a lot of love in, uh, in the air in this room because of the two of you. So you love her, don't you? With all my heart. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. And, and she loves me too. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Just oh, did you see her? Yes, yes, of course. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. like, yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> Something. I'm going to ask a question I never asked before. Did you guys meet? So, this is so a lot of people think we met on the internet. Yeah. Like, uh, as we were both. But we're actually from the same town, um, born and bred. And we, oh, were, we okay. went to school together, but in different years. He was the year above me and I was the year below him. So this was in, at the time middle, middle school. So it would have been the transition between primary and secondary. Yeah. And here in the UK? Uh, yeah, yeah in, okay. in Northamptonshire. Yeah. yeah. And I was in the year above her. Um, and we don't really remember each other. Mm. But there was this one vivid moment where I, I looked at her and I speak about this in my book because I wasn't kind of romanticizing about her at that age. I was very young. But I think I was just, I was just intrigued by her. I was just wondering like who she was. And one thing I was, meant, I was wondering about was if she was Indian as well, because she was so fair skinned. And I just remember thinking like, who, who is this girl? And that's the only real memory I have of her in school. And you don't really remember. No, we were literally just talking <laughs> yeah. about that on the yeah. way here. I was like, I, don't, I genuinely don't remember. My, yeah. my memory's quite bad, like, so I'm going to blame it on that. But I, I It was a long time ago it was a long as well, time, and you yeah. don't remember a lot of stuff at, at that age, but there was just that one moment, and then you moved over to Yeah, America. so I born and bred in, in Northamptonshire, and it was my granddad's wish for his three sons to all settle in America, so... You One counted his... as a son as well? <laughs> <laughs> so it was my dad. My, my dad um, was like, well, one of your brothers is already there. Let's, let's make the progress to kind of... Get you there too. Get us all there as well. So we, we moved there. My brother got married in, in California. That's where we were, we were based. And um, I was only there for around about two, two odd years. And a year into being there, I still specifically remember this. It was my last day as a freshman in high school. And we're driving back home and my dad's sitting there and he goes, what do you think about moving back home to, to England? And I was like, yeah, I miss all my friends so much. Oh, like wow. I, was, I was that age of like all my friends, my like cousins who are like my best friends, like they're, they're all back in England. And like, I was like, yeah, I want to move back. How so old? I was my freshman. So I think I was like 12 or turning 13 that summer. All right. Turning 14 that summer, actually, yeah. So um, there I am on the way back home and going, yeah, like, we're going to move back home. And he goes, well, I've already spoken to your uncle. He's already got you a, he's already got you, um, a spot in, in the school that your cousins go to. And I was like, amazing. It's all sorted. We're going to move back. That night, we went home. And for some weird reason, I still remember this because it was a very life-changing moment for me. I went home and it was like 7.30 or something like that. And I was like, I'm going to bed. And my, my brother and my sister-in-law, they were like, oh, we're going to go to a, you know, our, our cousin's house. Like, do you want to come out? I was like, no, I don't know why. I just, I'm not, I'm tired. I want to go to sleep. So I went to sleep really early. And then I, I, I had this tendency of falling asleep 
I've not worn my, my little halo or a ring watch, but a ring thing. So, um, but I fall asleep in like literally three minutes or two minutes or something. Yeah. So I fell asleep really quickly. And then my grandma comes into the room and she's like, quickly, quickly wake up. Something's happened to your dad. And I was like, you know, when you're like half asleep and you're like, what? Like, am I dreaming this? And I like, I slowly get out of bed. I go downstairs and my dad's unconscious and he's kind of sitting on a chair and, and you can tell he's not really all there. Next thing you know, he's, he's uh, rushed off to, to A&E and we found out he had a stroke. So it completely, like, we literally, our entire family was in A&E because my dad was a very big character in the family. He was the, the life of the party. That's the best way to describe it. Kind of so, like you are. So. But basically like me. I'm like <laughs> yeah. the female version of him. But um, yeah, we, the whole entire family was there. And I was, I was really, I was like 13, going to be 14 that summer. And... and they sent me and my grandma back home. And next thing you know, I think it was like three or four o'clock in the morning, my mom and brother and everyone get back home from the hospital. And I remember my grandma saying, where's, where's Suresh? Where's, where's your dad? Like, where is he? And they were like, oh, they've had to keep him in the hospital. And she was like, what happened? What happened? And, and that's when my, my brother and mum were like, oh, he, they said he's had a stroke and it's quite severe. And we were like, a heart attack? What is that? Like, we had no idea what it was, but that was the pivotal moment in my teens that completely changed like all of my teenage years pretty much because was he, okay? he he was a vegetable he was doing really well then all this stuff happened he had his brain was swelling he had pneumonia he had septicemia like th there was this moment where we were going to lose him but he survived that but then, unfortunately from that this was two months after he'd had his stroke the doctors basically said to us prepare for him to just be a vegetable for the rest of his life um, so we spent a full year in uh, America, so my, my sophomore year in America, and then we were like, we want to come back home. My dad was living in a, in a nursing home the whole time, and we were a bit like, we want to feel like he's at home, and we, didn't, we basically didn't want to live 90% of our lives in the nursing home with him. We would rather him come home to us, and we're really fortunate here that the, the NHS really, really helped my mom out to be able to have my dad at home. So we all moved back. Um, there I am, back in, back in my hometown, <laughs> back with my cousins. And I was actually in a relationship. We were no longer together, my, my old relationship. But then we happened to like, it was really weird. So, I was on a night out. But there was that one, that one moment. Oh, yeah. So there was one moment before, and I think we were, so we were clubbing at this age. We when were you're underage. not supposed to be clubbing. <laughs> but we were, yeah, we were, I think we were, yeah, going to a club and she was out with her friends and I was out with my friends and we just, caught a glimpse of each other and it was just and I still uh, remember I went to my best friend you remember friend. this yeah, time yeah. there you there go, go. Finally, yeah. finally you're memorable yeah he yeah. went in as my best friend Ravika and I was like Ravika who's that boy over there she's like that's so and so and she's like it's my birthday anyways let's go we're off to the bar and I was like okay I still remember that moment because it was like this light from that soul central like just like like it was like yeah. lighting it was like a, oh, oh moment. I like this I like this but tell me more tell me. <laughs> but I was I was like oh how have I who's this person I've never seen this person in my whole time and the Indian community in, in Northampton's pretty we're just generally in Northampton everyone seems to kind know, of each, know other. each other yeah. yeah yeah so then yeah after that I went to to university I was at university in Nottingham and you were in Northampton. I, I stayed in Northampton because my dad was still, he was disabled and my mum doesn't drive. So I was like the man of the house in a weird way. Like my brother had moved to a different town because um, he was married and wanted to kind of like start his own family and stuff. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll stay in Northampton and, and help my mum out. So I stayed home. So our paths didn't cross at uni, 
but then it was I think did I come back for like um, I think it was like during Christmas break I must have come back to yeah. Northampton and again we were out and I was out with my friends and she was out with her friends and we were both so neither of us smoke or have ever smoked uh, but we were both in the smoking area with our friends and then we just started talking. I dropped my entire in, the entire continent, like um, contained whatever my bag had inside. I dropped it all in front of him, and I was like, "I'm so sorry." And I was like, picking everything up, putting everything in my bag. I got up, and I was like, "You're that guy, aren't you? You're the guy who makes music, and you run." And yeah, yeah. So that's how we actually we first met. Yeah, and then and then it went to Facebook. Yeah, I added you on Facebook. And then we started speaking on Facebook and then it moved over to Emerson Messenger, if you remember. I remember. Yeah. Oh, you guys are that old. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are pretty old. But yeah, it was, it was Emerson and we'd stay awake and speak to each other till like, throughout the night. We'd go, um, you could appear offline. So no one, could, no one else could see you I online. I remember that yeah. picture, actually. And yeah. then we were talking till the early hours and we could hear the birds, birds tweeting tweeting, yeah. in the morning. No. Yeah. No, no, this is too romantic. <laughs> oh, my God. It's quite romantic thinking, thinking back on it. But it felt just so normal and natural back then because although we hadn't spoken for so many years and we were from the same town, as soon as our energies crossed paths, it was like we'd known each other for our, own, like our yeah. whole lives. And it was so strange how we were aligned with each other yeah. like we had the same kind of like the, the same sort of views on life and I'd lost my father when I was six months old and she'd lost hers quite recently then and when you come across pain I think a lot of the time there's this grieving process that you go through and maybe the, la the last stage is where you finally accept and it's the, f the point where you can finally let go of what happened and realize that there's nothing you can do to bring that person back or change the circumstances, there's only new choices you can make or new ways to reframe or new ways to perceive what's in front of you. And that's the only way you can actually move forward with your life. And we had both been drawn towards having this like positive mindset. So we, we were both big believers of a positive mental attitude. So that acronym is PMA. And I remember when we both crossed paths and we started speaking, we would see PMA everywhere, like on uh, restaurant leaflets. Yeah. And it was just like this almost... Like this sign. For well, you, you told me about the word maktub. Yeah. And um, when I found out the meaning of that, because in my head I was like, I've, I, had, I was in a relationship which, which broke off. My dad passed away. Not only did my dad pass away, my grandma passed away first. And then six weeks later, my, my dad passed away. So it was like, we had like three months of just like, what the heck has just happened? Mm -hmm. I was at uni. I didn't ask for any time off. And I just kind of threw myself back into to life. And I was trying to process what I was trying to process. And I didn't really, I wasn't really looking for, for, for you. And, mm. and, and you weren't really looking for me. And it was I just... Was, I was like so over relationships at that point. I, in, my, in my head, I'd written this kind of narrative that, you know, we were, were evil and I would never find a, a, you know, a good woman. And I was almost resisting the connection initially, thinking that, no, I'm not, you know, I don't want to be in a relationship. And... I'll just end up hurt because of the things I'd experienced in, in previous relationships. But, you know, there she was with all this, this, this love and this energy. And it was just so easy just being with her, speaking to her and this instant connection that drew me towards her. And obviously she's stunning. So <laughs> there was that, the physical attraction, but there was so, it was so much deeper. It wasn't, it was beyond the physical. There's, you know, you can you walk out on the streets and there'll be tons of, you know, physically attractive people that you might be drawn to but to hold that connection really there there was something much deeper mm -hmm. it was like a, a spiritual connection I think yeah. 
that really kind of led me towards her and you know it was hopefully mutual yeah yeah of course and it was it was it was weirdly like it was we were meant to meet at that time because if my head I was thinking if I'd met him earlier would we have even was was that the right time for us but actually the time that we met and the way that our story has kind of panned out so far is everything's kind of weirdly now when I look back at it has all happened as cliche as it sounds yeah as, at the right time and it was meant to happen in that order just, just before I had met you so I, I was doing an interview yesterday and we were speaking about our love story and just before I met Koshal I was going through what I consider the the worst time of my life like ever and it was just a accumulation of things going wrong all at the same time and then me looking back at my life and just seeing the negativity there and not being able to perceive anything positive in my life and I was in such a dark place that I like I didn't go and get checked out so I can't say that I was clinically depressed but the best way I could describe it was I was finding it difficult to to get out of bed I was staying in my room with the lights closed there was nothing that you know, even if I read one of my quotes, I might post now, I would be like, this is a, a load of BS. Like, this isn't true for me. This isn't true for my life. There's no sense of purpose in my life. I don't want to be here. Nothing's going right. And I overcame that period. And I, were, I sort of clinged on to, I suppose, an ounce of hope. And I was seeking an organic journey of self-love within my life. And I was really trying to make small changes to make my life better. And then... I met Koshal and it was almost like the perfect time because I was going on this journey of real transformation and I was really trying to look out for myself and practice genuine self-love and then I met the love of my life so it was just uh, nice. <laughs> it was just just, <laughs> it, it, just the way it all came together it was in- incredible you didn't seem to rush it neither of you right which is unlike what the normal modern world is all about right mm. and especially in our kind of indian community yeah. it's like soon as you're almost dating it's like when's the wedding happening like yeah. <laughs> get the get, you know get the kids get like everything it's like you have to almost rush it and there's all this pressure but we were just enjoying being with each other learning about ourselves and learning about each other all in the same time and at the start, you know, you're, you're, there's all this infatuation. There's there's all these chemicals exploding in your mind and we look at each other and we kind of idealise the other person, you know. They can do no wrong. And then the more time you spend with that person, you start see, to see the kind of humaneness in that person. Mm. And you realise that although they are absolutely amazing and wholesome, they're just normal human beings that go through the same range of emotions that every other person does. They've got an emotional history as we have and my wounds might trigger yours and vice versa. And then the real work begins as a couple. And we were, we just wanted to take our time. We wanted to really evolve together and be at this phase where we're like, okay, now we're, you know, we're ready for marriage. And some people don't believe in marriage and I think that's completely okay as well. We've always just wanted to have that, that, yeah. that marriage, although I convinced you at one point. Yeah, he was like, let's go to Vegas and just like, you know, I do, I do. And I was like, I want the, I want the Indian The, the full Indian. <laughs> <laughs> it's not any wedding, yeah. Indian wedding. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the wedding of all weddings, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But were you not impatient yourself? Like, There was one point I was like, so are we, because before he proposed to me, he he kind of convinced me 
that we didn't need to get married. Oh, and it was mean. his it was, it was his mean. like way that to make it was his way <laughs> to make to like throw me off track. So I said oh, I need yeah. I need twelve twelve weeks <laughs> and this is gonna sound so bad. <laughs> but I think with especially within our families, it would have been very predictable that I was gonna propose to her. And I wanted to give her the ultimate shock factor. I wanted to like really throw her off and then her to be like, oh my God, like you've, I've, he's, you've, you've literally taken my breath away. So I was like, I need around 12 weeks maybe to just rewire her to make her belief that actually I'm, I'm not, I don't think marriage is quite right for me. And it was mean and I actually feel really bad yeah, in, in the process. Like, but the great thing was that during that whole process, I was planning this epic proposal in Dubai. And it was incredibly tough to plan a, a proposal because you're almost setting a scene and you need certain people to play certain roles. And Dubai is an amazing place. But just the communication was like I'd send an email on like week one. I wouldn't get a reply until like week two. And there was an email exchange of like 100 emails just to plan this one proposal. <laughs> yeah. um, so it took a lot of time and took a lot of energy. And I was actually during that time, I was looking for places to propose and I was like, Koshal, okay, sure. do you want to go to Italy? Do you want to go here? Do you want to go Santorini? She'd be like, okay, yeah, let's, that's great. Let's go there. And then she'll, and then and she'll then I'll be like, just go anywhere. Yeah. And I was like, no, I think I want a beach. I think I want to go somewhere with a beach. So I'm planning. And then, then he'd be like, should we go to Thailand? I was like, yeah, I've always wanted to go to Thailand for like two weeks. And he was like, oh, I was thinking more like a week. And I was like, no, I want to go for like two, if we're going that far, so I want to for like 10 days at least. Every place you mentioned, <laughs> so in like Santorini, I'm speaking to someone and videographers and I'm like, I want to capture this moment. And then she'd be like, actually, I don't want to go there. And I was, I was like, like, there's Thailand. loads of steps and I so, want to go and relax. Yeah. <laughs> so then Thailand and I'm like, she loves a waterfall. So I'm going to find a restaurant that's got an amazing waterfall. And, you know, I want to propose there in the, in the kind of idyllic scene. And then she's like, oh, I don't want to go there. And then, Bearing in mind, I didn't know any of this was going on. So I was just like living my best life. Like, no, no, let's try this. Let's try this. So, this is, so what happened was, I was just like, where, where, you know, where can I propose to her? And I know her favorite place in, in the world, one of the favorite places is, is Dubai. And I've got a vision board. And at the time I had it on Pinterest. And there was an image of this lovely setting just outside, well, on the beach uh, with the view of the Burj Al Arab. Burj Al Arab, yeah. Oh, yeah and I was that, just yes. like, and I love that architecture. It's like, I've always been drawn to it. It's one of my favorite kind of uh, buildings. And I was just like, that would be amazing to propose there. And then I went through my old emails and there was an email from 2011. And I said to her that, you know, I'd love to take you to dinner here sometime when I can afford it because I can't afford it right now. But, you know, it'd be one of my dreams to do that. And I was just like, can I make this dream a reality and propose to her because this is ticking all the boxes like it's her favorite place I've had it on the vision board and actually told her that I would take her here one day so I tried to figure out where this particular location was and then I found out that that particular hotel doesn't do those outdoor dining spaces anymore but there's another hotel on the other side with the same kind of view that has outdoor dining and I could propose to her there and then I was just like right I need to I need to trick her somehow. So we're going to go to Dubai, but I don't... I don't know if that's justified. (laughs) (laughs) I I really wanted the the shock factor. I didn't want her to expect it. The setting was that I was going to have one of our favourite songs. So when we first got together, I'd always make a a mixtape, but songs that would remind me of a CDs for a car. And there was this one song that we both really connected to. So I wanted that song playing in the background. 
And they told me we'd been invited. They found out that I, I YouTuber, Koshal was coming and staying and they wanted to invite us to some like- a press event. Press event party thing. Stupid. And that, that stuff like that can happen. So I was like, okay, cool, yeah. I was like, we'll go. And if it's rubbish, then we can leave. <laughs> and then we can go and eat somewhere. I don't know, we can go somewhere else and go to the mall or something. So in my head, I was like, We'll see what it's all about then, you know. It was a good press event, actually. It was a really good press well, event. The best one I've been to. The funniest thing was, is that I created, I had to create a fake invite to this event. Oh, and man, then I had to you get it, are serious. Yeah, like you sent it, me like the... I had to get it approved by the hotel because we're using their name. And I'm like, it's not going to go anywhere like on social media. It's just literally for her. So then... I didn't want the picture to be captured and her to be like, oh, I wasn't, my hair wasn't done or like, <laughs> I wasn't wearing my favourite dress. So I wanted her to, you know, feel comfortable as well in the shop. Um, so I thought if I do it, if I create this scenario of a press event, you know, she'll dress for the occasion and then we can kind of drive her to the, the location, but blindfolded. So they approved everything okay. and then... Yeah, and I was like, this is weird. And then, but... What press event wants to I know, I know. But then I was like, this is Dubai, anything. Like, it's so glamorous. <laughs> so it was in a secret location. Yeah. yeah. So that, I think that was part of the kind of, the part of the story. So the guy, came, I think when he said, oh, could you put this blindfold on for me, please, ma'am? I looked at you and I was like... And I was just, and I was trying to act dumb, like, oh, yeah, like my acting school's like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe it's some, you know. You, you didn't guess through all of that no. that he was trying he, to he kill you or something. <laughs> he convinced me that marriage, like, if and when we're going to get married, it'll be in the future. Like, we want to be financially stable. We want to be able to, like, make sure that we are set there and then kind of be like, right, this is, this is the route for us. We didn't want to rush into any of that. So and, we, that and that was, that was true as well. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, I knew she would guess. Like, soon as we'd, even if we just flew out, I think, on a holiday, I thought, that's it. She's going to, she's going to be able to guess I'm going to propose to her. And I was like, oh, you've not been romantic recently. Yeah. He's so, not. So because was, he was doing 100 emails a day. Yeah, yeah. And that's why <laughs> I, I was, when I was like, oh, this is just him showing, like, see, look, I can be romantic. Like, I genuinely. This is the most freaking romantic thing ever. It's like, <laughs> this is better than romantic comedies, honestly. <laughs> So even the photographer, and I was, I don't think people realise how overwhelming it can be. So I, even just her ring, I took it all the way to Dubai and I had to hide it. And I was just like, what if something happens to the ring? And I spent a lot of money on the ring. Like, I was like, I had all this anxiety in me. Like, I really hope the ring doesn't get lost. So what I did, I had a sunglasses case in my hand luggage. And within that, I put the ring on. And then I had a bit of, um, like, a cardboard kind of seal, seal around it. And I put engagement ring inside. Please, like, please, don't, yeah, <laughs> please don't expose it in front of my, my fiancé. Well, my soon-to-be right. fiancé, yeah. And um, out of all the bags that got checked in the airport, mine was one of them. And she was next to me and we were watching him check the bags. And my worst case scenario was that if I have to propose in the airport, I will. And that's okay. Like, and there's nothing like, like, yeah, you're, you're literally looking at it if the, if the you know, box is open, yeah. you're on your knees immediately, yeah. you know, yeah, licking yeah, yeah. that thing and, and saying, I'm, take it. <laughs> I'm literally ready. Like, do I have to do this now? And, you know, he opens it and I think he looks at me and he closes it. He didn't even smile, which was good acting on his side as well. And I was like, fine. And then as soon as we got to the hotel, I was just like, oh, shall, we, shall I put everything in the safe? That I thought was a bit weird. Yeah. I was like, oh, maybe he's just That was the it. first thing I did. I was like, let me put everything in the safe. And then I put the ring in. But I was literally, just before the proposal, I was 
getting I was down. filming a YouTube get ready with me. Yeah, so she was filming yeah. a video and I was in the bathroom. Because oh, so, I, so the makeup you did for that thing is was, on YouTube? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, that's a beautiful yeah, video. Yeah, it, it worked out amazing. And then I was in the bathroom because I've got like really dodgy ankles. I was practicing getting down on one knee so I don't <laughs> topple over. So I was practicing and then I was hoping that everyone would have their places. And the, the photographer that was supposed to me proposing to Koshal dropped out the week before the actual proposal took place. And I was like, oh my God, like, where am I going to find another photographer? And I found this guy on Instagram. And the guy is, he was just, you know, just the best, most understanding person I've ever come across. And on the day, he wore a good vibes t-shirt because he knows that it's one of my kind of like slogans. And yeah, he was ready with his team. And as we saw the setting, I was like, wow, everything's set. But she still didn't realise I was about to propose to her. I literally was like, okay, I, I get it. Y you, you are romantic. Like, I take that back. Because <laughs> I kept teasing him. I kept, like, for, for weeks, well, a couple of months, I was teasing him. Like, yeah. you're not romantic as you used to be. And he's like, no, I am. Yeah, I remember I did that thing for you when I did all I did that. And I was like, no, something's changed. You're not as romantic as... And, and in my head, I was like, oh, my God, he's done all of this because I've been banging on about how he's not been romantic yeah. over the last couple of months. Might be a good advice for others. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to ask this question. If he had literally on one dinner looked in your eyes and said, I love you, would you marry me? Without a ring, with no arrangements, you would have said yes. Yeah. Why would you go through that effort, man? You're destroying it for the rest <laughs> of us. <laughs> I think for me, it was there was two aspects. One, it was this this reality, uh, this dream that I could make into reality. And it's like, oh, you know, you're only gonna, well, in, in our heads at the time, obviously, we were, we were only, she was for me and I was for her. Yeah. And we saw our kind of forever in each other. I was like, I'm only gonna do this once and it's gonna be with her. So this is the only opportunity ever to create something like this. Mm. And at the time, you know, until this day, you know, she, she's, in my eyes, she's, she's worth it. and. I wanted to go to all of that effort and it, it was it was hard and even you know I'd memorize these wonderful words to say to her before I got down on one knee and they all just kind of just went I was I think I hardly ever get nervous but at, in that particular moment I was like my heart was beating extremely fast and I was like I've just lost a sense of everything can I he was I just, saying all this stuff to me and he goes do you know what I'm going to ask you and I was like no in my head, I was are, like, are you asking for an extension for another year? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, wait, what? And then she was saying yes before I got down on my knee. <laughs> and it was just, the, we were on this, this high for, for, for months. And then it was the wedding. But I didn't, I knew I didn't have to go to all of that effort. Um, and I could have just done it in, I could have even just done it in my, my bedroom. Yeah. And you would have said yes and I think it wasn't it wasn't how glam it looked that wasn't the essence of it it was the sentimental value of going to your favorite yeah city. and it was on your vision board which is the and, weirdest thing yeah, like, and was just, like I'm gonna take you here one day and it was just the first step that we are gonna now you know go out into the world as husband and wife and create our, our dreams together because the dreams aren't just these dreams of living a lavish life but it's doing good in the world as well so help me understand this so I'm, I'm writing about the topic of love and and I have to admit, we've created a world that is a lot more shallow and a lot more fast-paced when it comes to love and romance. So, so I want to take both of your views. Like, what is love to you? What do you feel about him? 
Why is he special? What should a woman do? I mean, you tell the story as if it was meant to be. I am an engineer. I don't believe anything is meant to be. I think even the stuff that is meant to be, you can mess up, right? What did you do? And I'm asking do, not the being side of the feminine. I'm asking what did you do to make sure that you find someone who deserves you to the point that he puts in so much effort for you? Um, I didn't have very much self-worth in, like, was it like three years within to our relationship because of social media and my job? So when I started social media, he was the one that was like, I was in a job that was very stressful and he was like, you need, let's find you a hobby, something for you to do that will make you feel good. Um, Cause he's always looking out for me in ways that I don't see it for myself. But I started my YouTube career and all of this. And, and I, I got to this point where I was like, I was reading all these horrible comments about me and, and, it, and it really crushed me, but he would never stop showing that, that I am, I, he was the one that showed me that I have self, that I do have self-worth and that I do need to work on loving myself. So although we've been together for what, be 14 years next year, we've still been through ups and downs. I think the, the thing is people think that there is like this perfect recipe for a relationship or what love should look like or what you should do when you're in love or what you should do for the person when you love them. But actually, it's kind of, the, the first of all, there isn't a, a secret recipe. There, there's always going to be ups, downs, lefts, rights. You'll feel really low individually. You might feel really low together if something happens. You know, there's, it's never linear in that sense. Mm. Um, but the thing that I, going back to your question, what do I do? To find someone that... To find some... Is so right. I mean, it, to me, it seems that you're both so right for yeah. each other. If I say, what did I do to find someone? I was focusing on myself. Mm. And that's how I found him. Because when we first met, I was like, I'm going to live my best life. I'm going to focus on me. I'm going to do things that make me happy. I'm going to do things that lift my spirits up. And it was weird because I was actually... Although my dad had passed away and... Um, I was no longer with my ex-boyfriend at that time. I was like, I was really young still in that sense because I, I was 20 when I met you. You're still young today. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you want old, I can tell you about old. <laughs> we're all young. Yeah, we're all young at heart. But yeah, I, I was just on this journey of just wanting to be me and finding out what I like and what I want to do and actually taking control of my life because I've always done things... And maybe this is coming from a quite a, I would say, quite a traditional Indian family. Like, I was always expected to do things as my parents. And in my case, my grandma would tell me to do because it was very much so there was like a hierarchy in the family of like, you know, you do as your elders tell you to do. But actually, during that time, I was like, am I just always going to live for other people? Like, when am I going to live for me? So it was the, actually, in a weird way, I wasn't really doing anything special to find him. And I think that was the beauty in it, that I was actually just really happy living my life and then just magically... Best advice ever. Honestly, best advice ever. I mean, I, the reality of the matter is that I, I believe, and I, this is a part of what I'm writing about, is because a woman gets, I don't want to use the word, but a bit desperate to find any love, right? Because of course we need love in our life. And of course women are under the pressure of that, am I good enough? Am I, you know, 
accepted? Do I need to validate? And then there is the biological clock and, you know, family pressure. They just rush into, you know, accepting whatever crap shows up. And, and the reality is, I have to admit, the best advice ever is to, is to as a, a woman, know your worth, know your value. Don't, don't, I mean, I'm interestingly in my upcoming work, I basically recommend heavily against dating apps. I say, you're turning yourself into a picture in a meat market, right? Mm -hmm. And with that, how are you really going to get anyone that you connect deeply to? That idea of I focus on me and I, I really respect my value and what I care about. And basically I will advertise to the world what I tend to believe is going to be attracting the right person. Best advice yeah. ever. Honestly. There's actually one thing that Vex says, I'm sure he'll say it so much more beautifully than I would, but it's not about falling in love with someone, but it's actually rising in love with someone. Say it better than so, she said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, she said it perfectly. I, I think oh, one thing that we should also mention is that both of us were, we've both been heavily hurt in the past. That, that's and, very useful as yeah. well, believe it and or not. Right? That was for us this kind of motivation to focus on ourselves and, and find our worth, find our sense of purpose, find who we are and attend to our own needs. So then we wouldn't outsource so many of our needs to the other person because then you go into a relationship with all these expectations and pressures and you want the person to conform to what you think love is or what love should look like and you put so much strain on the on the relationship and you create these unhealthy attachments and what you're actually doing is you're not enjoying the person as they are you're enjoying the person as what you think they should be what you'd hope for yeah or what you'd hope for so but when me and Koshal got together you know I wasn't and I, I'm, just, I'm just a human being and I have my flaws and my shortcomings and my insecurities and fears. And I was very young then. And she came into a relationship still with... Still very young now. And we're still, we're still young. Um, but, you know, I have my story and she has her story. And we're trying to create this new story together. And that can be extremely tough. And I feel like relationships are the perfect grounds for conflict because you have these battles. I of can't egos. picture the two of you having conflict. Yeah. I was just thinking about that. Like... I think we're really lucky that we've been able to grow up together because I thought I was like in my teens going to be living my best life, which I wasn't because my 60, 70% of my time was spent at the hospital with my dad because he was in and out of hospital for five and a half years. And like in my 20s, I was like, I'm going to live my best life and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then I meet him. And then it's like we, the first few years, it was, it was like kind of figuring out like how, like, as in like, I was like, oh no, we should be doing this. And he's like, why do you think we should be doing this? And I'd be like, because so-and-so did it. Like, I really had to question but it myself was, it was in the way mine we, as well, like the yeah. male conditioning I had of like what it, what it is to be a man in a relationship. Like I had all these kind of unhealthy narratives as well. The conditioning was very deep as well from what I'd been taught as, you know, a, a young child and throughout what I was exposed to. Um, and it was kind of like the undoing and unlearning and then relearning who you are within the relationship. And the most important thing is, is having someone that understands that and holds that space for, for you to grow as an individual and then together as well. And I think the most important lesson that we've taken away from our relationship, because I, I believe at the start, it started out as an immature kind of love. And I think that's completely okay because you evolve as a human being as well. And then it grows into something 
more authentic. And the authentic, unconditional love comes with a lot of acceptance. It's like, of course, there's things that you can do better and there's things that I can do better, but I accept you as the whole person that you are now. Mm. Um, but I think the most important lesson that we've got from our relationship is that we can only draw closer to each other and evolve as, as a couple if we are close to ourselves. Because then we'd stop expecting the other person to fill these gaps in our self-esteem. And we'd stop needing the other person to, to make us happy. And rather, we'll be cultivating happiness together mm. as individuals, as a couple as well. Mm. Do you think that you make the choice first and then you work on it? Or do you think that you basically should start with someone that's as close as possible to what you're looking for? So it sounds to me that in your relationship, at least in the early years, you were like, oh, he's not as hurtful as the one before, so, or she's not as hurtful as the one before, so this is good, yeah. right? <laughs> but I feel there must have been a time where you said, holy shit, I love her so much, right? Or you said, oh my God, he's such a good man, right? And I'm really actually working deeply on understanding this because my definition of love in, in my next work is that it's not created, it's rather found, that it's always there, that you always had that love between your souls, if you want. And then there is a moment where you just literally link into the, I call it the spiritual field, basically. You click into it and you go like, oh my God, I love him. And that requires patience because I have to admit in today's world, with so much on display, it becomes difficult to stay and hang in there when things are a little challenging. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting question. I think with Koshal and I, there was moments that felt really good. And these were maybe the, the happy hormones that were going on. And you think, this makes me feel really good. But is it as intense as, or as good as the authentic love makes me feel? And just going back to what you said, Mo, is I completely agree that I think on the deepest level that love is this kind of autonomous energy that's within every single person. And it's almost like this river that you can go to. And, yeah. Exactly. That's the exact description I used yeah. in my work. And yeah. you, can, you can access it. And it was almost, I think, in the moments where we were loving ourselves deeply, and I would describe that as us accessing our own rivers of love, taking a massive scoop of water, and then showering the other person in it, and that coming through our actions, because that then is love in action. There was these moments and they came from a very selfless place. And sometimes that does require patience. You might see it in glimpses at the early stages of your relationships. But I think as you evolve as human beings and you cultivate self-love, which is you really accessing that love within yourself, then you pour it outwardly on, on, on the other person. And it just feels like this warm embrace. And we see so much of it now that even in the moments where her behaviours or my behaviours don't seem like they're coming from a loving place. We know that we are always mm. loved. Mm. It's like I grew up watching so many Bollywood movies. <laughs> and I, I, thought, I thought love was like him like dancing for me and like do it like you know like <laughs> I don't I know dancer. Dancer. <laughs> no I, I i'm kind of the one that's like <laughs> <She's> <laughs> <laughs> but um i had this this idea just growing up that love was supposed to look like this i was you know supposed to go to uni get married have kids like maybe be a stay-at-home mom because that's what i saw in my mom like there was like a a road that i thought i had to go down and and a, and a type of person that i was supposed to marry and 
this is what love is supposed to look like. But actually, love comes in very many different forms, shapes, sizes, lengths. Sometimes love isn't for forever. You still love that person, but your relationship might not necessarily be That's such a powerful forever. thing you said, because I think a lot of us use relationships and love interchangeably. Mm. And I think exactly. that people love is something you cultivate within yourself. And a relationship is you choosing a person to cultivate that love with. Um, but you can love, you love people that aren't physically around. You can love people that you are no longer in relationships with. Relationships are a choice and the choices we make are with people or when it comes from a healthy place are with people that align with our level of awareness. So if we're practicing self-love, we know that the person we're choosing to be in a relationship with is coming from a, a similar place. Mm. And that's what I think can lead to this kind of evolutionary journey with the person of choice. But on social media, you know, a lot of the time you see, because we were taking templates from like Disney movies. Mm. Yeah, yeah, um, I, call, I call it Disneywood. You know, yeah. Disney and Hollywood, yeah. not Disney <laughs> and Bollywood. Yeah, right? and it's, yeah. but it's so true. Yeah. We were taking all these templates because we look, sometimes we look at our parents and that looks too real and it's kind of underwhelming. You're like, actually, <laughs> that's not what love should look like. It should look like me running across a field to, yeah. <laughs> to my love <laughs> and hugging them tight. And then you're like, that's what love should look like. And now we've got social media and that's another place that we adopt templates from. And I don't post many pictures of myself or pictures of our relationship, but sometimes we do. And I realise that people... I love that about the two of you, by the way. I really, really love that you're not... Because there is so much material that can get you a few hundred thousand yeah, followers yeah. more if you if you shared that bit. And some do, and it's so cheesy for it me. And I'm like, seriously. It's the content that I always say that if I just posted pictures of me and Koshal, I would get so many likes and grow so fast. You specifically would, yes, yeah. I agree. But <laughs> I, it, I don't, you know, I, I'm encouraging another kind of... Shallowness. Yeah, basically. shallowness. Mm. And I think even when we post pictures, like sometimes I would write a caption and just remind people that this is a just single snapshot. Snippet. So this is a line mm. in a story and it doesn't define the whole story. Mm. And we could have just argued just before we took the picture. Mm. And I actually went to an event once and I remember seeing a couple and they were literally looking like they were going to beat each other up. And I didn't know who they were. I think they were like this influencer couple. I was like, oh my God, like this is, I've never seen a couple so violent with each other. They had to be held back. And then I think like a few days later, I was, I was on my explore page and I saw a picture and I was like, oh, I recognize those people. And it's from the same event, the same night. And it was, yeah, it was like, you know, I love this person so much. And I'm not, you know, I'm not taking anything away from them because there probably is love there. But you can love any person in the whole world. But it doesn't mean you should have a romantic relationship with every single person in the whole world. But with social media, I feel like we have this uh, responsibility as well to tell people or to show people that... A, we're normal human beings. Um, our relationship isn't perfect. We go through ups and downs, but we're in this commitment and we're, you know, we're trying our best to A, attend to ourselves because when we show up for ourselves better, we can show up for each wow. other better. And that's why now I feel like our, our, our love's so much more pure and authentic mm. than maybe in those kind of younger, immature days where we were... I think seeking to fill voids at the same time with moments of yeah. that selfless love. There was a lot of understanding to do individually about how not only what makes me tick in a good way and a bad way, what makes him tick in a good way and bad way and what works for us together. together. Yeah. I think people just think that a relationship is like, 
you're going to fall in love with someone happily ever after. But actually, when you're in love with someone, it's every day you're making adjustments or you're you're doing things together for the bigger picture. And like we always we always remind well, I, I always remind myself like he's never not on my team. Like we're in this together. Like yeah, there might be a time where I think differently to him, but that doesn't mean he loves me any less. There might be a time where I'm feeling really rubbish for whatever reason. Um, that doesn't mean that, I mean, I will be like, don't talk to me, don't talk to me. <laughs> I'm like, no. But he's, he knows how, he, I will say to him, don't talk to me, which means come over here, <laughs> give me a hug. <laughs> but it's taken years for us to rig, like figure out, like there are times where I know where I'm like, no, no, no. And when I say to him in a different way, like, no, 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 honestly, I'm fine, but I just need some space. He knows that when I say that, he's like, okay, peace, I'm just okay. gonna go play FIFA. She actually, <laughs> he, she actually needs space. So he's understood. And I know for, for me, I, I had to go to therapy during lockdown because my my work through on social media had put me in such like a low place in my life and with the way that I spoke to myself. I was going through therapy and he would say things to me before I went to therapy and I'd like be crying like, oh my God, like I don't want to do this anymore and why are people so horrible, blah, blah, blah. And he would be like, look, listen, it's not the end of the world. Like that's all he would say to me. And I'm like, you don't understand. It is. You don't get it. You're, you're not in my position, blah, blah, blah. And then I went to therapy and every, every time I'd go to my therapy session and I'd come back home and he'd be like, how was it? And I'd be like, yeah, it's good. And he'll wait for me. He won't, he's very good. He knows when to not prod me. Um, and he'll never ask. And then I'll be like, so she told me this and she told me, and then he's like, okay, then he'll start kind of asking questions. And one day I was like, you never guess what? She taught me the best thing ever. And I feel like it's changed my life. He's like, what's that? And I was like, you know, she, she said like, the next time something happens, which is out of your control and like, sort of like something bad happens, all you need to ask yourself and not only ask yourself, but answer the question is, what's the worst that can happen? And like play out the scenario in your head. Mm. And he's sitting there going, okay. Yeah, I've <laughs> said that before. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, you know, I told you that. And I was like, no, no you didn't. Like, <laughs> but he realized that when I was going through a bad patch and it was, it was for like a, a year or a year and a half, it was, it was bad. It affected our relationship. It affected just me, the relationship I had with myself and with everyone around me. But he really, at first, was trying to coach me. He was like trying to give me the tools. Don't do that. Husbands, <laughs> yeah. do not do that. Every yeah. husband listening to me, <laughs> don't do that. Just love her, okay? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's what a, he... Yeah, it was a learning curve for me because sometimes you try and pathologize because I love understanding. I'm always driven. I'm always asking why. Why does someone do what they do? Or why does someone think like what they do? And I'm always asking these questions. And the one time you don't do that is in your relationship because you don't need to. All you need to do is show up. And like you said so beautifully, is just just love the other person. Mm. And now it's, you know, it's a case of, is there anything I can do to help? Yeah, not unsolicited when you're yeah. asked yeah. to help. Yeah. You. Or like, I'll, they'll be randomly, like, and I'll just sit there and I'll be like, before I would net, I would bottle things in and then like explode. <laughs> but now I'm getting a little bit better at that. And I'm not saying that our relationship is perfect, I'm perfect. Like, we, we will always have our ups and downs. But like, I'm so much better now at like sitting there and I'll be like, just sitting there, he'd be like, you okay? And I was like, yeah. And then, and then I'll be like, I'm feeling sad. And he's like, okay. Why are you feel like, he'll be like, are you, is there anything I could do to help you? And I'm like, no. 
And then I'd be like, I don't know why I'm feeling sad, but like I'm feeling sad. Like, but I'm better at communicating that. That's to the him. whole point. Yeah, that's the whole but point. Th- and are, sometimes I'll just like I'll just hold you. It's right? just that and, yeah, like, like hold and, my hand and, and that's it. And see if yeah. that that might inspire her to to say something or to just um, I don't know process whatever she's feeling. But it's like a, it's a it's a learning experience on yeah. on both ends. But and life is always going to throw you things that good or bad that you may not have experienced before. So it's just it's our brain is like a muscle right like you're, you're training itself to handle situations in empowering way like when I went to therapy my therapist told me I had a bit of a wobble she was like have I told you about the slopes and I was like no she's like you went down a black slope she's like have you been skiing before and I was like no she's like well they're all color-coded the black slopes are like for experts but you're just starting off and you're learning how to ski but every now and again you might come across a black slope and your goal is just to get down it as yeah. safely as you can. And, and the way that she explained that, I was like, aha. So I had that wobble, but I just need to get better at my foundation. So when something does come my way, which may wobble me slightly, I've got the tools to be able to handle that situation better. Mm-hmm. So we're always going to come through black slopes individually and together as, as a couple. There's always going to be those moments, but it's about us getting to know each other on a deeper level as days, weeks, months go by and being able to get down that slope better together. Mm. I think in the relationship you, you have us two as, a in, as individuals and you have the relationship and we know we have to care for us individually and for each other but also the relationship because in every closed system entropy will... Will break it yeah. down. Mm. So it's just really about caring for this 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 system that we've got together yeah. and what can we do to to empower the relationship um, individually and together and we try and bring that conversation back quite often actually yeah. and we've got better at it because sometimes I think we went through a, a period where we would just avoid some of the difficult conversations maybe because we were scared of being vulnerable scared of the other person judging us um, but now it's it's really the key isn't it mm. the, the vulnerability yeah. and the intimacy between yeah. us to just share how we're feeling, what we're going through, mm. if we've had a hard day. And she knows when I'm like extremely stressed, maybe yeah. with so many deadlines and work. And she'll be like, oh, are you okay? Before like, I used to be I... like, what can I do for you? Oh my God, what, is everything okay? What, what's wrong? What's wrong? I'd be, I'd be like that. What, like, let me help. But I realised that's not the kind of love he needs from me. The kind of love he needs from me in that moment is to give him his space come back to him in a couple of hours and be like, do you want a drink? Can I make, like, do you want to, like, should we go figure out what we're having for dinner? Should we, like, go to our favourite restaurant? Just to, like, you know. But before it was really, really hard for me. I'm, like, a chronic people pleaser. My thing is, when I went to therapy, I found out my thing is abandonment. Mm -hmm. And to compensate for people not to leave me is to be overly, like, giving. Or, like, I'll do it, I'll do it for you, I'll help you, da-da-da. Like, we're always giving, giving, giving. And not actually, I wasn't actually ending up giving anything to myself. So when that would happen to him, I'd be like, oh my God, what can I do for you? Let me help you. And not realizing that's not actually what he needs. Mm. He didn't need me to do that because mm. we, unfortunately, we, unfortunate, fortunately, we're like different people and we do need things in a different way. In, in different ways, yeah. I agree. Would you say, you said that you wanted the Bollywood very well dressed with perfect hair and so on. And I think that I, he doesn't have, I mean, I have to question because I think one of the biggest challenges 
is the young people's obsession with the bad boy, the young women's obsession with the bad boy, and the young men's obsession with the gorgeous, slightly naughty girl, if you want, right? And those normally, and just because they are a man and a woman, okay? <laughs> because if they were two men, I would also say the same, uh, or two women. So what would your advice be? I mean, in all honesty, there are flashier men than this very sweet, very calm and contented young man, right? What would your advice be to a woman that is always looking for that bad boy? I mean, ultimately, and I don't know if this is the right answer or the wrong answer, but if that makes you happy, mm -hmm. looking for that specific kind of person and you're genuinely happy and, and they're not making you upset, then, I mean, everyone would ask me, what's your goal in life? And I always say to be happy. Mm -hmm. I don't want anything else but happiness in my life. So if that, going down that route to be with a specific kind of person makes you happy, and it's not my, it's unfortunately not my life. So like, I have to really remember to detach from things because it's like, I can give my advice to someone, but then if I'm then attached to that person's outcome or I'm going to make myself happy or unhappy from that. And I can't have my happiness lie in other people. Um, that's in, in my hands. But yeah, I would just say if something or someone makes you happy, then... It's the right choice for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, And then the sort of the dipstick, if you want, the measure is if a certain type of person constantly makes you unhappy, you might as well wonder if that's the right type of person. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Would you agree? Yeah, I think if someone makes you unhappy or if you're recycling the same types of relationships um, and the dynamics aren't unhealthy and you know it deep down because I think a lot of people intuitively have that calling that they know that the person they're with isn't probably the, mm -hmm. the, the most compatible but they're drawn to them potentially for a reason and I've, I've found especially through a lot of the research I've done is that sometimes people have been raised in chaotic environment and they've been so normalized to chaos that now they think that's what's, what normal looks like. Mm. So they unconsciously perhaps choose relationships with partners that offer that same instability and chaos that they were exposed to as children. And they never question why. So they dump that bad boy and they move on to the next one and the next one. And that's the same cycle repeating. So if the cycle's not making you happy, mm. then ask yourself, why? What can I do to change it? And that might require some digging. It might require you reaching out to, to a therapist, a counsellor, or just some soul searching or a bit of everything. But yeah. Let's talk about work for a minute. So uh, you constantly dispense very valuable advice around uh, well-being. You have 1.2 million followers on Instagram. You talk about makeup and beauty, and you have 2.4 million followers on YouTube. Why is it that you think that social media, it seems to me statistically that people prefer to look beautiful twice as much as be happy, okay? Just from those statistics. Why do you think that's the case? Why is it that people on social media will look for things that are sometimes not closer to the depths of where they are. And sometimes, and I, I say that with a lot of respect, you know, Vex basically said, if I, if I have more pictures of you on my social media, I'll probably do better. Right? So, so what's happening here? Even though, by the way, I think that your approach to beauty is really amazing because it's, it's demystifying that idea of the incredibly flashy, you know, have to compete with each other type of look. 
but there is definitely a, a dichotomy. That's a very deep question. I think, I think your, your approach to, to, to makeup and beauty and what you've learned over the years is so powerful. Yeah, so to backtrack a little bit, my mum worked at Avon, which is um, like the Avon lady. She, she wasn't an Avon lady, but she actually worked in the factory, like putting together the makeup. And she'd always bring makeup home. And I've never grown up around women who wear makeup. My grandma did, however, live in Dubai when it was like 45 years ago. Like mm. basically Before when it was very, it Dubai, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like very like it was mainly desert. So she grew up with a lot of um, beautiful Arabic women. So she brought back like surma, the, the eyeliner, the oud perfume. So I kind of grew up with my grandma kind of, all the makeup she would do was eyeliner and perfume. My mum, perfume and a little bit of lip gloss and eyeliner. Like, I didn't really grow up around women who looked a certain way. So my relationship with makeup has always been more of a therapeutic relationship. Interesting. Yeah, so like I, back in the day when like MySpace was around, I would sit there, like lay all my makeup out and I'd like start painting my face, take a picture, wipe it all off. This is before Instagram. Wipe it all off, change my profile picture on, on MySpace, and that was it. Like, that's what I used it. It was my outlook for... Um, it's an art. Yeah, and it was like my me time. And actually, the way that I perceive makeup is I'm doing it to enhance my natural features. Like, I'm very much so... And, and my messaging is very much so changed and evolved as I... I've been on, I've been sharing my makeup for 10 years on, on social media. So it's, I always say to everyone, I'm a dinosaur when it comes to, uh, <laughs> when it comes to sharing like beauty content. And although my first few years of makeup tutorials were very, there were a certain look, they were very, very glam. They were very this, very that. YouTube, you only see that video and you don't really see the rest of my life. Whereas my Instagram, 99% of the time on my stories, I don't look like this. And I actually get messages, as one of our friends, Karisha, she'll always say, you know, my friends will always message me saying, I love that Koshal's just gone on her stories with her hair in a bun, with like still like remnants of like mascara still on her eyes and like just showing herself as she is like as a real person. Yeah. And I think that's where my journey on social media has evolved because I've got to the point now in my life, I don't wear makeup every day. I only wear makeup for a special occasion. And I'm actually quite comfortable not to wear makeup. But I think, and I don't want to sound like, I don't want to sound thingy, but like, I think it just comes with age. Like, again? Yeah. Again, you said age and the two of you don't fit in the same sentence. <laughs> but like in my 20s, I was in mid, mid to late 20s, you know, the first four, four years of doing social media, I was very much so like, I felt like I had to look a certain way. Like, I felt like I had to wear eyelashes all the Comes time. Comes with I confidence, actually. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That's, yeah. that's, a, yeah. that's Be, so much better. Being more contented with yourself as you are, knowing yeah. that you're beautiful anyway. Right? Oh, thank you. I th I th <laughs> and I think, no, I mean, I'm, you're gorgeous, but I think every every woman is beautiful. Yes, absolutely. That's the truth, right? Absolutely. Every man is handsome. If we just do the right, you know, a few of the, of the necessary things and be true to who you are, you know, uh, that's it, really. Yeah, that's, absolutely. I, yeah. I love that you said you show your features or you walk, yeah yeah you know, i will never try to like and I, and I went through a phase of like wearing full coverage everything like trying to look as as done up as possible but then i felt like i was following a social media trend yeah and when i would look at myself in the mirror i'd be like i don't actually like the way this looks so why, why i really had to question myself like why am i doing 
these makeup looks when I don't actually wear them. And there was a real big conflict at one point because I'm like, I don't want to push certain makeup looks or certain products or certain style of makeup all the time. Mm. Now I feel like I've got a nice balance of just showing like real natural, I don't put any filters on my skin. Like this is what my skin looks like. This is what makeup looks like on real skin. Like my messaging has definitely evolved and changed. I'm really glad it has because although makeup and I say this to quite a lot of people, especially in the last few years, I say, although makeup is a part of me and it's it's very much so part of my brand online in, and, and offline, but it is a part of me, not the whole of me. I'm so multifaceted, like well-being is, is a massive, plays a massive part in my life. Beauty, again, family, cooking, like there's so many parts of me that I feel like I'm slowly learning to share online in a way where I'm not giving too much away because... Vex and I, at first I used to be like, oh, everyone wants you to do a video with me. Like, everyone wants you to paint my face. And I was Did like... Did you ever? No. So, I, 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 I think had, you should. I had, so so I, I, add, I add a vote to that. Okay? <laughs> everyone, everyone end oh, me. God, I'm end right. <laughs> I, I think that would be fun, actually. <laughs> it would be so fun. But like, for me, like, those moments are so precious. I don't want to put them all over the internet. Like, I, I, and I think, yeah, it's just... It's nice to keep some things private and it's nice to share the bits that I want to share. And again, like I could have done, I could have now been at like over a million followers on TikTok, on Instagram, but I'm actually like, no, I like being in control of putting out content that I want to put out that makes me feel good. That message, that is really, honestly, I mean, I, I say this openly in front of everyone because I could easily 10X my following by doing my messages differently. Yeah. But I think, I think authenticity and really, really aligning with what you think is good for the world. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's the most important thing because I think everything we do is, is basically an action that goes towards how we see the world or how mm. we want the world to be. So we're very conscious of that. But on social media, just going back to your question, Mo, I think people see images or content and they see someone and they see that they're living a certain life or that they look a certain way and ultimately they see that person as someone that's happy. So they associate the happiness to whatever the service or personality trait or whatever it is that the content shows as the means towards that happiness. Mm. So people will go, go ahead and chase it, whether it's a certain look, a certain lifestyle, more money. And the people that like, go on that quest might get whatever it is. And then realize that actually that happiness is quite fleeting and then it's the next thing and the next thing. And then you're exposed, social media, you're exposed to so many different things and so many reasons why you should go and do this or be somewhere and get something. And that's never ending. It's the same with the, the social media numbers. You can grow. The numbers is, a, I think, is a Bob Marley quote where he talks about you can't place your happiness in numbers because the numbers never end, right? And it's the same with social media metrics. The numbers never end. So at what point are you going to say, I'm happy? Or are you going to miss out the points that you did find happiness? How are you actually going to sustain happiness? And then you'll start to realize that actually happiness can't, I can't rely on the external things because the happiness keeps moving and it keeps moving to a, a point in the future and every time I chase that point in the future, there's another point in the future that promises me happiness and it's never where I am. So how am I going to now find happiness? And when you hear stuff like happiness is a choice, people are, oh God, no, it's not. Well, actually, in a sense, we can look at it like this. We can say happiness is a choice because we have a choice to do something about it. 
do something different and that might be just to perceive it in a different way. Or we can take a different action. We can choose to, if it's a relationship that makes us unhappy, we can step out yeah. the relationship. So happiness is ultimately down to us. 100%. And that's what... I, I, I think what, what people misunderstand is when, when I say I'm, I'm a very big advocate of happiness is a choice and suffering is a choice. And I think, yeah, maybe to be 100% happy all the time is not a choice because events will pop up in your life that will make you unhappy. But you can always, always become a little bit happier least a little bit because of a choice, right? Uh, you can suffer a little bit because of a choice, right? Like you rightly said, all the way from changing course in life to just simply accepting and, and really re recognizing life as it is and saying, okay, that's life, by the way, it's, it happens that way. You seem to be extremely successful on social media, but not owned by it. That's a good way to Yeah, it. I love what you just <laughs> said there. Yeah, that's a very, very big lesson, I think, to a lot of people. Even though I, you know, Koshir, you, you, you sort of mentioned that there was a moment where it owned you, where it sort of gripped you, right? How do you keep that balance of being out there, but not really worrying too much about how many more followers do I get today? Yeah. Oh, it's rubbish. I, I do, I do, like, I just see like minus figures on my Instagram all the time when I look at my analytics, which I try not to look at. Mm -hmm. And it, it's not a nice feeling, right? Because we're in this position where that's our job and when you do look at the analytical side of things, when you do see figures that are like not in your favor, you go, oh God, what do I do to change this? But then ultimately there's this one thing that always crops up. And I remember saying this to you, was it like last year or earlier this year? And it, had, it, it, it like popped into my head and I was like, oh my God, this is genius. I was like, is my content making me feel content? Yeah. And I think it always boils down to well, if I want my numbers to go up, then I'm going to have to start making content that actually doesn't make me feel good. Mm -hmm. mm. Or make it at times where, you, where it doesn't feel right. Yes. Yeah. 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 And it is actually like taking into account how you're feeling that day. I actually spoke to uh, another content creator this week. She reached out to me on Instagram. And she was like, I love you. I've been watching you for years. We both follow each other. And she was like, I'd love to just like pick your brains because I'm really struggling with social media at the moment. And we had this exact conversation and, and I said to her, you are in the position where you work for yourself. Like you have your own company, your LLC, you know, you can take a day off. Like you are your own boss. Yeah, you'll have to manage things. But if you're not feeling good that day, don't force yourself. Like I remember there were times I'd put out content. My followers will message going, you look really sad. Like I can see sadness in your eyes. Like, are you okay? And I was like, oh my God, I... I can't hide this. Yeah. So actually it's better to not put out content if you're not feeling like it. It's okay. You can inform your followers. Like, like this is a part of, you know, my job comes with highs and lows and I'm, I'm at a point where I don't really feel comfortable being on social media. I just need to take, even if it's just a 24 hour break, as, as simple as that sounds. And it's not even that long in the grand scheme of things. But even if you do need to take that break to make yourself be in a position where you can show up for your platforms because that's when you're going to end up putting out co content that resonates with people. Yeah, I, I, th I think that pressure, you know, when I, when I started, believe it or not, four years into my work, I decided, hey, you know what, I might as well have an Instagram account, right? That's old, okay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's the idea. The idea for me is at the beginning, I was told by all of the experts, you need to post twice a day, you need to do this, you need to do that, and right? And I actually agree with them. If the target was to 
get a thousand followers more every day, mm-hmm. then that's the right way to do it. But it's called Instagram. It's basically what I feel in the instant, right? That was the original design. And for some times I don't post for a full week, right? All I care about is that when I post, it's something that comes truly from my heart, right? And represents who I am. And by the way, part of who I am is I am a writer. I am a podcaster. I have my, you know, my own mission and I have my foundation and I have my, you know, engagements and so on. And so accordingly, it would be stupid if you expected me to be available every day, yeah. right? It's, you know, this is not what life is all about for me. But I think the pressure of if you're out there, and I'll say, I'll admit this with vulnerability, honestly, the pressure of me always telling myself, but if you just put in the effort, the good content will go further, right? It's a question of if I can build a video that, that talks about an important topic for humanity and it is seen by... 10,000 people, if I had bigger following, it would be seen by 20. And I think that dilemma in an interesting way is something I never reconciled with. Sometimes I tell myself, you know what, just be who you are. What happens, happens. And 10,000 people is not a little number anyway, yeah. right? And sometimes I tell myself, I kick myself. I go like, just get done with it. Agree with what what the world really is. And you'll end up, you know, having more impact and a wider reach as a result. I think it's a tough dilemma right now because a lot of our jobs, especially with influence, like if you're considered an influencer, is defined by social media and the metrics. Like, for example, if you're growing followers, you know you're reaching more people. And if, you're, if you've got deals with brands or if, even if it's a book or a course or whatever it is, is that if you're reaching more people, then there's more people that are going to access your work in yeah. whatever way possible. I think, A, I try and remember... For, personally is that social media is just an outlet and it's an outlet for me to express myself creatively and reach people um with anything that you do effort needs to be there like no change comes without that kind of effort on your part but I always try to ensure that the effort that I'm making feels good to me and I've although every part of the process might not feel glamorous I think when it comes to, to like, for example, growing an account, there might be that effort where you might have to post, say, three or four times a week as opposed to, to once a week. Because unfortunately, the way the world works is that you can be relevant one day and then completely irrelevant the next day. And people are just drawn to whatever's exciting them in that, within that moment. I try to create content that AI find extremely valuable, that aligns with my values as well. Um, and that it's kind of fun. Maybe it's a way of using words, like maybe a bit of wordplay or using a certain metaphor in my messaging, but just making sure that I, I enjoy what I'm kind of putting out there. But I think that there is this immense pressure now to create like viral content and to grow quickly. But I think actually, if you love what you do and you're putting out authentic content that's valuable, the reach will eventually happen. I think there's just this immense pressure now to grow quickly and within a week. And I think what comes quickly can also go quickly. And it's, <laughs> So I think it's just a matter of doing what you truly believe in, A, putting the effort in as well, but making sure that you feel good during the process most of the time because there'll be some tedious things that might not feel good uh, with social media. But... I think for the most for most of the process, it has to feel 
like you feel kind of energized. And I think the authenticity as well always translates through the screen. Yeah. Um, and if it's something that you're just doing for purely the, the likes or the views, that will come across as well, the inauthenticity. And actually it's, you know, some people... But sadly, a lot of people are drawn to that. Yeah, and you're drawn to it. And again, it's this, you know, this whole, this viral culture, I want to go viral. So I need to create X type of content. But that content is only serving your own ego and not actually serving other people. And then what you're actually doing is you're telling people that you have to create the same sort of content to be happy yeah. and to be accepted in the world. And now we create this cycle that mm -hmm. perpetuates. So we need, I suppose, more people that stay true to them. Yeah. So, so you, you don't think I should have a lip syncing video where I point at words? No, <laughs> no, 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 not a good idea. I've been encouraged to do that. That's a no, that's a no. <laughs> okay. So, Koshil, I, I want to ask you about that part when you felt that, you know, there was a lot of negativity. The reality is you have 2.4 million people who like you on, on your channel. I don't know how many on Instagram, but probably like a million more. And yet our brain decides to look at the seven annoying ones, okay? And go like, I hate my life. Tell me a bit about that. So um, I think it goes back to when I first started. So when I first started social media and sharing content, it, for me, it was like this meditative process of like I'm not worrying about my stressful job and I'm doing something that brings me this happiness mm. and I'd put out sometimes I think there was one day where I put out three YouTube videos in one day mm. just like, because you can just because I was like <laughs> well I got nothing else to do this Sunday so I'm just gonna because <laughs> yeah. you know it was like it was my it was my playground like I could I could just do whatever I wanted and it was new and exciting and I would get the odd like comment and I'd be like oh whatever I'm living my best life I'm loving what I'm doing it doesn't matter and I kept like brushing them under the rug. So like over time, this rug kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And all my furniture's around it kind of going, oh, we're struggling here. Like, are you not seeing this? And I felt like in this room, I couldn't ignore this massive pile of negativity under this rug. And it got to the point where, so I started off filming my old house where I used to live with my mom. It was like a little three bedroom house. I first started off filming like, on my bed with like my wallpaper and stuff in the back and then it was exploding it was just getting bigger and bigger and I was like okay I'm gonna convert like our little spare room it didn't have anything in it I was like put my table there and all my setup and everything then I started filming in there so I had like a bit of a separation of I go in there to film my bedrooms for sleeping potentially editing videos and um it got to the point where I was so scared of reading even one comment a negative comment that I wouldn't even go into that room Bearing in mind, I have brands wanting to work with me. I'm going to like Paris Fashion Week and like going on all these trips, but I hated going into that room. It was almost like if I went into that room, that the, the feelings of reading all these horrible comments would come gushing back. Mm. I wouldn't want to wake up in the mornings because I had to face the fact that I needed to film content and it was awful. And this was all around the time of, the, of our wedding. Um, so the wedding was a bit of an escape, which was lovely. But then I came back to reality again of like, oh God, I have to go, I have to go into that room. And it was horrible because when we got married, as we were getting married, we were looking for, for a house to move into. But um, we didn't find anything until six months after our wedding. So I was splitting my time, half my time at my mum's and half of my time at his. I was living out of a suitcase, which is not fun. Although I love him very much it was it was hard it was hard because I felt like I was nor here nor there I was in London half the time at home with you I just felt a bit like 
and then all this pressure from work. And um, he would just be like, in, a, in the most kind, loving way, I don't remember it like this, but it was in the most kind and loving way, like, do you think maybe if we like find you someone to speak to? I was like, no, there's nothing wrong with me. Like, that's what I kept saying to him. There's nothing, there's nothing is wrong with me. I'm fine. I'll figure it out. So it was about a year of me doing that. Wow. Yeah. It was like, not even a year, probably longer than a year, two years of me ignoring it. And this just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It affected my mood, my relationships, my routine. I had no routine at all. And we were on holiday in Dominican Republic. I love the Dominican Republic. Yeah, it's beautiful. We were there in December of 2019. So just before the lockdown. And um, there was a moment where I just erupted on holiday. And then I literally sat there and I was like, I've just ruined this holiday. Not only for me, but for him. And just the experience of being in, in, in the Dominican Republic. So I was just a bit like, this is not... This isn't me. And that was a really big wake up call. And then he was like, do you want me to help you find someone maybe? Do you think maybe it's... He's such a good Yeah, man. yeah. He was, he, he was, he's, <laughs> like, this is the other thing. Like, him, <laughs> but like that, I think people think love is like going on date nights. People think love is surprising your, your a significant other with flowers or whatever. Love is like this. Love is like, do you want me to help you find, I like... I can speak to people, I can find you someone if, if you want to physically go see them or Zoom or whatever. And I was like, yeah, like that's when, because it, it got to a, like a breaking point. I've never spoken about this like on, online of like how it happened, but it was awful. Like I literally felt like I ruined that, that holiday. Didn't ruin it, <laughs> I didn't ruin it, but I felt like me felt being like it, yeah. the, the people pleaser, I felt like I ruined, I mean, we're there with his friend and his, his girlfriend at the time, they're married now. <laughs> And I was like, I've even ruined it for them. Like they weren't, they didn't even know, but I was like, I even ruined it for them. And um, it was our last dinner that we had. And we were like, guys, whenever Vex and I go on holiday, we do this thing of like, what was the best part of the, the holiday? And what was like your not so best part? Like, is there anything that, that didn't go as well? So we all went around the table. Carisha, who we were with, she, um, they all went to the gym and she, you know those like slam dunk ball things? It, yeah. it smacked her in the face. Oh, I believe. It was just, I wasn't there that day because I, I had a tummy ache in the morning. So that was like, everyone went through there. That was her like downfall or whatever. And um, I said, I can't remember what I said as my downfall, but as my positive, I said, I've realized I need to go to therapy. And, and that was, Beautiful. Yeah, it was it was hard. Beautiful. I realize I need yeah. therapy, I think, is a very positive turning. Yeah. And if I hadn't have gone, oh my god. It wouldn't have been good news for me, good news for us. Like mm. it was it was it was hard. It, it helped you a, a, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm crying, but, but it did. It, was, it, it was, did, yeah. Yeah. It was it was a big step to take. Yeah. Because um, it can be scary going to, to, to therapy and laying it all bare, yeah. I think. And I, I realised, I think, at that point where as much as I would want her to kind of unpack and unload and whatever it all it was, onto him. <laughs> uh, I could, you know, I'm, I'm her husband and there are those boundaries within the relationship with, with her, with me. But um, she needed someone else to speak to and someone that could truly help her in a professional. Yeah. I, I, think, I think the shocking thing is we humans have not been designed for this kind of load at all. No. I mean, remember, if you take the proper design of a human, the tribe would have been a couple of hundred people. Yeah. And at yeah. most, you would have dealt with three of them every day or 
then, right? Mm. You have to deal with 2.4. Yeah. <laughs> it is quite interesting that most humans, by the way, I mean, anything, huh? just the, the daily commute to work in the underground or the tube is not human design. And I think for many of us, we never really realize that there is an intervention needed sometimes because in the pace of life, you're unable to pause and say, hell, there's something really, really bothering, right? And I love that you remember this moment fondly, honestly, because this is something I tell everyone. I mean, it, it starts from a moment of reflection and, and silence where you actually say to yourself, hey, some, there's something I need to work on. And depending on where you are in life, I think, I think there needs to be like some kind of a pin or a trophy given to people that decide to go to therapy, honestly. It is definitely important in, in our modern days, challenging times. I still remember sitting on the bed and I was like, <laughs> and now that I think about it, I was like, oh my God, why did I even say that? But I still remember sitting on that bed in Dominican Republic and I was like, but she's going to, the therapist is just going to tell me that there's something wrong with me. <laughs> That's why I, I was like, I don't want there to be anything wrong. I didn't want to lose that control. Such a yeah. way of looking at it. Yeah. I was like, there's something, there's, she's going to say there's something she, wrong with it. Did she say there was something wrong with you? No. No, she said so. there was something wrong with the world. Did she say that um, she experienced like a mild form of depression? Yeah, it was a, it was a mild form of depression. That was a, she said, the, you know, the fact that you couldn't walk into a room, you didn't want to wake up in the mornings, you know. It was, That's it was, definitely depression. Yeah. yeah. And she was like, I, I can't tell you now what it was because you're coming to see me at a different time in your, in, in your life. But it sounds like you had depression at that point. But um it's really weird because now I'm very open with like talking about, oh yeah, I went to therapy. And I, and I always say, if there's one thing that anyone should do is to go to therapy to find out your thing. Now that I know what my thing is, I know how to act on it and yeah. I know how to deal with it. Absolutely. Um, but I, I always say to people like, if you can, even just one session to find out your thing, it is life-changing for sure. I think sure. It's, it's, it's tough with therapy because a therapy is obviously is a privilege to be yeah, able absolutely. to go and see a therapist because it can be quite expensive and B is finding a therapist that's right for you because some therapists might not be right. Um, but it's just finding that, I suppose, that thing, right? For me, my, my way of dealing with things has been meditation and that's been like an absolute Obviously. Game, changer, <laughs> game changer for me. How often do you meditate? How um, I, I meditate every, every morning for around 45 minutes to, to an hour. Um, if I'm feeling stressed, I can spend four or five hours in, in, in meditation, but, um, I love that statement. If you don't feel like it, then you might as well do a, a little bit of a longer meditation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think this, I can't remember who said it, but someone said, if you're too busy to meditate, you should meditate for longer. Well, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You need to. But that's my way of, um, I don't know, really working out what's going on within me, within my body and just accessing that kind of that inner silence that's very therapeutic to me. And speaking to a therapist is, is very helpful to you. And some people will find other modalities or avenues. And I think it's so nice that now we have access. And this is the plus side, I think, with social media, is that if you curate your feed nicely, you can be brainwashing yourself. Positively. Positively. Absolutely. And it's so important. Absolutely. And, but people choose to sometimes, you know, follow. And it's not that they're following things that don't make them happy. They're following things that superficially make yeah. them happy and that doesn't last but if we're constantly if we're constantly exposed to you know quotes about gratitude or reminders for gratitude i can almost promise you it will change your life the way you view 
life. It's like, you know, you've, because our brain is malleable, right? Yeah. And we can go through a process or circuitry over and over again, and it becomes stronger and stronger. And then it'll be your natural response to maybe reframe the situation and actually say, okay, this has happened. That's okay. This is the acceptance part. And I promise you as well that when you accept something, even an emotion, it dissipates very quickly. Mm. It just, most of the time, the, the suffering comes from the resistance of that, um, that emotion and then choose to reframe it. If I said to you, you have a 90% chance of dying, I know it sounds quite morbid, or a 10% chance of surviving, which one elicits more positive feelings? Which one will inspire you to even take more positive action? Mm-hmm. It's the, the 10%, the, the, the kind of the positivity, that reframing. But that can come very naturally if you've almost brainwashed yourself through your feed to access positivity on a, on a I, I, I cannot agree more. I think people don't realize, though, that they have that ability. So, so I, I've been experimenting a little bit with YouTube shorts and uh, Instagram reels feed, basically. And it's more clear in the YouTube shorts because you can actually follow certain people and you can swipe away from the ones that you don't like. But on Instagram, it's just a feed of content. And believe it or not, one of my biggest, I tend to meditate in everything that I do by paying deliberate attention. And so in the times when I swipe on Instagram, I actually make, make it a point not what to watch, but what not to watch. So when, when something shows up that is annoying for me, or at least not what I'm interested in, I very quickly swipe away from it. I never stand, you know, there until the reel is over because that's a very clear signal for the algorithm. Don't show me more Elon Musk. I'm not interested. And it's quite interesting huh? because they, you know, the tendency of someone who likes technology and into business and talking about artificial intelligence is that you will show me more Elon Musk. And I want to teach the algorithm that I don't want that because 90% of what he's talking about is annoying me, honestly, right? Not annoying me because of him as a person. I'm not interested in that world of capitalism anymore, if you know what I mean. And so teaching your algorithm to become your friend is a very big thing. And the way you said it is really beautiful. I realize we've, I t- have taken a lot of your time. I still have a couple of questions. Yeah, no, carry on. <laughs> I'm, Go I'm for not, it. Not, we've not got any, any plans. So. Good. <laughs> yeah. So I, I want to ask you why a good vibe, good life was so successful. It's a million copies sold. I think in the first year, 50 languages translated. Something trans- like that. Yeah. I think I, 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 New York so- Times. Or Sunday Times. Yes, it was in the Sunday Times for, I think, like two years. Two years, yeah. Two years. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, it's been very organic. When I first, so a lot of people ask me what the secret to the success behind Good Vibes, Good Life was. And I told them a couple of things. And one of them was that when I wrote the book, I was seeking to answer the most common questions I was getting from my social media followers. Interesting. So it was just like, the, the USP was, what are people asking about? And how can I bridge the connections to these things, like how does gratitude affect happiness? How does purpose uh, link with self-love? How does manifestation and goals play out? What is self-love? Like, how is it? How can you explain it in a practical means? So it's like, okay, right, this is what I want to try and explain and put forth to people in a way that's very accessible and digestible because I like leading, of reading quite intense literature, especially old spiritual literature, but sometimes you read it and you're like, you know what, that sounds great. I'm going to tattoo it on myself, but I have no idea what that means. And I have no idea how to apply that in my everyday life. So I was like, I'm just going to break this down because I want to, although every book or everything will have its target audience, 
I want to access as many people as I can. So I want to try and make it really simple. At the time, I had, I think, 140,000 probably followers. And I got the book deal. And it was with Hay House. So Hay House are a, a publisher that I've always been close to because they release a lot of books around mind, body and spirit that I've always been drawn to. And it was my dream publisher. So the book was coming out and it was, it was great. I didn't really do any press. I don't think people were that interested in another Instagrammer sharing quotes that was, I was kind of labelled as. And um, I didn't have that many press copies to send out to people. I sent them out to a few of my friends. Some of them shared it, but it didn't create a, like a tragic movement on the Amazon charts. It didn't really do anything that special in that sense. It was You're forgetting about the word count. I think that's, that's so important. Oh, so yeah, this is, this is really <laughs> important. So the book was originally around 70,000 words. And I was basing it off the self-help books that I had read previously. And the, one of the first ones was Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. So I was writing in a kind of a traditional way. And the publisher turned around and they said, look, we, we want this to be a little bit shorter. So can you just kind of break it down a little bit? And I was like, like how, how much shorter? And it was probably around 30 to 40,000 words. And I was just like, oh my God. Like, how am I going to break down this message, but not water it down completely? Because I still want to make certain points. So I managed to get it to around 40 to 45,000 words. And the way I did it was every sentence there was, I was like, I need to lose three or four words out of every single sentence. That was the most tedious task, I think, throughout the whole process. I think but that's where the magic happened. Because it was the magic that was in, in that process. But also when I was writing the book, I was praying after every line and paragraph that I wrote. And the, the prayer that I said within my mind was, that I hope it helps someone. And the person that needs to see it will see this book. Because, you know, I've not grown in the most, grown up in the most favourable circumstances. I was homeless for three years as a child. My dad passed away. Poverty, racism, all those major themes played out. So I've been exposed to a lot of pain and I've had a lot of suffering as well as a result and I wanted to give people solutions or things that they could do to make their life better so it came from a very organic place I think within myself and as the book was released nothing was nothing amazing was happening but I had with the 140,000 followers I had I had a very kind and supportive follower base and some of them were picking up the book and it didn't make any bestseller charts for a long time. And what it was actually doing, it was, it, was, it was helping those people. And people were like, oh my God, this is really changing the way I view life. And I think when people talk about life-changing books, it's not that their whole life has changed in that moment. It's that they've got sudden epiphanies. And the epiphanies are things that feel true to them and those truths are always there and maybe the books just expose them to that truth within themselves and suddenly they're like wow this has created a mindset the mindset shift within myself and now I can access or approach life in a completely different way that's going to help me and a lot of that was going on and then the book fell into the hands of celebrities and some I'd if I'd be completely honest I'd never even heard of 
and they were sharing it with their followers. And then suddenly there was the social media hype that people <laughs> like to, to call it. It started off with just word of mouth. And that's like the most, I didn't it's ex- the best form of advertising, isn't it? Like when, you're, when your loved one or someone says to you, have you read that book or have you seen that this? You know, it that's... It was, and it was, it's a very good book. Yeah. And it was reaching people that weren't necessarily readers. So it was yeah. people that wanted to access the wisdom in a very simple way but they wouldn't be able to consume a long book with heavy text or too much, I don't know, spiritual um, philosophy or too much of the decorative kind of language. They yeah, wanted something. Mysticism. Yeah, yeah, they just wanted something very direct. And they were getting that through this book and then they were recommending it to their friends and it, it grew like that. And then I love that. I actually believe that very much to be true. So it's, I'm adding my recommendation to Good Vibes. Good vibes. <laughs> uh, if, if any of our listeners haven't uh, read it, it's definitely worth a read. But let's then ask you about working with your husband on a book. Like, yeah. uh, how is that? So um, I think for me, I was under this pressure from my online community of you're known for makeup. Like, when are you coming out with a makeup brand or a skincare brand? I wanted to ask you that, actually. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. in the wise words of Marie Kondo, it just doesn't spark any joy for me in this current moment in time. This um, is I, pure <laughs> wisdom. Okay. It's, um, I love it. And every time, and don't get me wrong, I've sat down to be like, right, I'm going to start a brand and it's going to be skincare. And, and I'm like, okay, great. What product would I start with? What's missing in my routine? And I'm like, nothing. <laughs> so it's like, for me, I'm like, I don't want to bring a brand out into the market, which is already very saturated. And there's not really another need for another, in my opinion, a skincare brand for me when I already have so many favorites. And then I, I was kind of like, why do I keep going around in circles with this, my own brand thing? And coming back to the fact that like, it's not actually sparking any joy. Like I need to do something that sparks me joy. And the amount of times have I gone round in circles it was probably about two years like speaking to labs branding this that the other um even my agent she's like I'll even you know I'm happy to invest in it like you know I had all this stuff kind of going for me but it was just like the spark wasn't there and that's when I realized actually beauty isn't the whole of me it's a part of me and just how much meditation wellness spirituality and actually tapping into your like inner energy and inner self is so important to me So Vex and I were like, actually, one of the ideas we had is like, I love um, shopping online, but there's not really a cool website for like all things wellness. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how amazing would it be if we were to stock like our favorite like wellness products, whether it's vitamins or like facial massage tools or I don't know, whatever it was. There was like a whole list of things that we had um, that we could stock. And then, I don't know, again, the spark wasn't there, but then we started... um, the rising circle which is um it started off as a meditation platform and it's just giving out free meditations guided and non-guided and we work with a really wonderful producer who helps produce all, all the the music for us and um yeah it was it, it it just turned into a bit of this like a passion project and um we actually asked both of our audiences what's what's something in the wellness space that you struggle with and um People came out with three things. They said meditation, which we were like, check, done that. The other one was uh, sticking to like a routine or like um, specifically like a workout plan. And then the third one was journaling. And I was like, oh, I mean, I struggle with journaling massively. I, I, I'm that person who will go and buy journals 
even empty notepads thinking, I'm going to fill this up with all my thoughts and I'm going to be that person who journals. And every time, like, even the simple ones of like writing down three things that you're grateful for every day, it was like two months in and I was like, why do I keep writing the same stuff down? And then I was like, why am I being ungrateful? And it got to that point where I was like, am I, am I being ungrateful right now? And then, and, and that's why I was like, maybe I should like put this aside and then I end up getting another journal. It was just like a cycle that just kept going. And Vex unknowingly has been journaling for over mm. half of his life. Mm, yeah, pretty much them. my whole life because I was writing random things as a child, just yeah. writing emotions down. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know that was a, f a form of journaling. And yeah. I always tell people that I probably wouldn't be a writer if it wasn't for me journaling, because I would always try and understand myself. So I'd write stuff down and I'd express it poetically or I'd just write random things down, incidents, almost like a diary. Not so much, but it was just, just random stuff. But what I was doing in that process is I was becoming self-aware. I was understanding there was a form of emotional literacy that was going on. And I started understanding why I do certain things, why I felt a certain way, why I entertain certain relationships, why I don't, what I had outgrown. And I was really starting to understand myself. And what I do now is a lot of the stuff I share is these realizations I've had by writing things down. And my friend Robin Sharma, he puts it perfectly. He says, journaling is like meditation on paper. And I think it's a beautiful way of put, putting it. And I thought, Journaling's done a lot for me in terms of my self-awareness and growth. And Koshal's always struggled, struggled with, it. with it. So how can we combine kind of my experience and what it's done for me with her experience, but also her creativity, because she's extremely creative. I'm the ideas person. <laughs> Any idea so if you, you need, need anything, though, you let me know. I'll I, do, I do, I do. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let's stop this recording now. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, we just ended up creating something that's so kind of, I think, unique not too overwhelming as yeah. well something that inspires gratitude self-awareness happiness as well and it's also got a lot of the um or similar cbt therapy-led exercises that i was given when i went to therapy yeah. within that and that have really really helped me um, so there's, there's a, every three days you have an activity to do. So you have your entry pages and you can do them whenever you want. Um, but every three days there's like a mini little activity to do. And you can do them if you want to. If you don't want to, you can skip that page and you can move on to the next page the, the next day. But it really is somewhere where you can rewrite your story and put all your thoughts onto paper. And it was actually really fun to create because um, I always said from whenever, well, when I started YouTube, it was like a thing to bring out a book. And I said to my agent at the time, I was like, I can't, I'm not really good at writing. I don't know whether I would be able to put my thoughts onto paper. Because again, str struggled with journaling. So I didn't really know what I would put. Um, and I was like, I'd never, I'd never write a book. So they, they would never book any, bring any book deals to me. But actually this was like the perfect amount of creativity mm. that I could put into it with his expertise to create something which we genuinely hope helps people better their lives on a day-to-day -day basis even if it brings that ounce of like a tiny little gram or an ounce of gratitude or self-awareness or just allowing to have some space to get whatever thought or sentence you have that you just need to get out of your mind onto paper so it's out of sight out of mind it's, it's so yeah. therapeutic just writing something down there's um, a new document i don't know if you've seen it on um, netflix struts with, um, I, I was told to see it by my co-author, Alice, many times. It's, I think it's something you'll really enjoy. And the therapist, he talks about how journaling and writing is so powerful because it's 
There's so much in our unconscious that we don't, we aren't aware of, that we can't access. And when you're writing it down, you're suddenly forming that access to it. And it's just a way of channeling maybe repressed emotions or ideas that you've picked up over your lifetime onto paper. And soon as it's released, there's also that relief that, that comes with it. So there's so many benefits of journaling. And although it's a kind of a daily journal and it will last up to six months, what we've said is to be flexible as well. It's good to have a practice that's daily because the repetition obviously creates that habit. But at the same time, don't punish yourself if you miss a day or two, because one of my meditation teachers told me a story and he said that a lot of the other yogis within his kind of same monastery, they meditate every single day. If they ever have to miss a day for whatever reason it is, and they could be any reason that comes up, some of them completely lose who they are. Like they lose their core. Cool. They're like, oh my God. And it's creating stress. And the whole idea of that meditation... It's still not to create yeah, stress. Yeah, it's not to create stress. <laughs> so then he said, some of them are actually just sitting in the practice of meditation, but they're not actually meditating. Mm. So it's just the habit that they've created that at 9am or whatever time it is, I'm sure it's much earlier, at 4am, I'm going to go sit down and I'm going to meditate. But are you actually meditating or are you just sitting in a pose to tick a box yeah to tick a box so that's what we've said is that if you skip a day it's okay just try and return to it we actually have a little promise to yourself that you sign and date at the beginning of the journal oh do you that I, I name will not be hard on myself if I miss a day I'll just pick it back up the following date and, and carry on my my journaling journey just as a little reminder to you know so it's just a reflection of how gentle both of you are. Oh, <laughs> thank you. It's like, yeah, you know, we we have you now in our in our grip, but we'll let you. Yeah. <laughs> in a compassionate yeah. way. Yeah. We've actually included some really like because I'm a very visual person, and sometimes if someone asks me how you're feeling today, your like automatic response is, "Yeah, I'm okay. How are you?" Yeah. But sometimes you don't necessarily know the feelings that you're yeah, feeling yeah, that yeah. day so we've actually included um, an outline of a heart every every day is one of the first things to do and it's like feel in that heart how full it's feeling that day so without Ooh, any that. without any words yeah. there is options to put words around it of, of, of if you do have any like happiness or sorrow or excitement or whatever it may be um we've got little elements like that in there and and i on my instagram stories every now and again share like a write and release is is there anything that's on your mind good, bad, whatever it is that you just want to write and just, just let it go. Um, and I do that on my stories and I have done so for a few years. And we've even included that into the journal of like a little section to write and release every single day, whatever it is, it might be a memory, might be someone that's really annoyed you that day that you just need to get out of your system. Um, but it's a very flexible journal. Um, but it has been like the best thing to, it's like our baby. Like it's our first like little project that we've put together. And I in 10 years of doing what I'm doing, apart from a charity collaboration lipstick that I've done with a brand, I've not actually released anything under my own name or my own brand. So this is like I think we've really huge, had all yeah. these opportunities mm. to become like, and you know, this term is not one of my favourite terms, but become like these couple goals and, you know, really sell ourselves as a couple. And we've avoided a lot of things mm. because they've just not sit right with us and we don't want to mislead people. But mm. this is something we felt, both felt incredibly passionate about. And it's the bridge between, I suppose, what I do and what Koshal does and just yeah. bringing our energies together. So this is the first time 
we're doing something together. Um, yeah. I think we're just incredibly proud of what we've yeah. been. I honestly think the journal, because she put a lot of, you know, I was writing my my book at the same time. So my energy was here and there, but a lot of it was focused on the book. But Koshal and our team at Rising Circle have put so much effort into the journal and yeah. I think it's just turned out absolutely amazing. I know we're obviously going to be biased, but I genuinely think it's like the best thing ever. And like, I... <laughs> I, I, I even like... wrote it on the, on the title. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest self-help yeah. book yeah, ever. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's just really exciting. Like, it's out on the 8th of December... But like, I've already got my copy. I got like an early copy sent and I, I'm, I'm not starting it until everyone else gets theirs. Because yeah. I wanted, I want to experience it with everyone else. Although I have sneakily been printing. Uh, I have, well, I have been printing pages like in the side and like. But I want to be able to um, experience this together with like our audiences. Um, but yeah, it's just really exciting. And, and we, we're, we're really conscious about we don't want to just bring out anything like whatever we do, whether that's with the rising circle individually or together, it, there's a real reason behind it. And purpose there's a real purpose them. behind it. Because yeah. if you think about it, there's so many brands and so many companies and so many, there's so many things you can do just to have another thing that's yeah. there because you've got platforms that access millions of people. But is that what the world needs? Mm. Potentially? No, a lot of the time yeah. it's a no, but what are you driven towards and what do you want to achieve in the world and how do you want to make a difference? And that's what the questions we ask. And we always relay the questions back to our followers. Like, what do they need? Mm. What could help them on their journeys? And that's the same question I would ask. And every time I would come with like the beauty side of things, like he's like, okay, why do you want to create a skincare brand? Or why do you want to create a, a makeup brand? And I'd be like, I don't think I have a why. Which is why I never went down that route. But with this, there's we have a why, yeah. and I think the why is so important in, in anything you do, whether that's just life in general. Yeah. yeah. I think I think as I describe you both, I find that you're sort of being pushed by life to be successful as hard as you resist it, honestly, because <laughs> you know it is. I think the summary of both of you is love, to be honest. I mean, if you guys are listening to this on uh, a podcast player, I urge you to look at it on YouTube because they literally have rarely ever looked at me. They're, they're, just, looking, they're just looking. I actually try to remind myself. Like, I'm just like this. Yeah, I know. I know. They're, they're just looking at each other through the whole conversation with so much love when, the, when one of them is talking, which I think is wonderful. But I think the summary of your work, if you ask me, is in the statement you said when you said every paragraph I wrote, I was praying. I pray that what I do will make a difference to others. I think that's such a beautiful way to put yourself out in the world. And interestingly, of course, as Paulo Coelho will say, you know, if you, if you know your life's purpose, yeah. the universe will conspire to mm, make it. Happen. I love that. So, so, <laughs> so the, tr the truth is, if your intention is, I'm doing the absolute best that I can to make a difference to others, life itself will look at you and go like, let's help this guy out and let's help this guy out. I think, I think the truth is most people don't, don't realize that. Of course, because of how pushy life can be sometimes. But it's a great reminder of, you know, if you do something because you feel it fully, you know, you think it will bring you joy, you think it will make a difference and you can put all of your heart and love in it, then it does make a difference. Isn't that a wonderful way to live? Yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah. And I love that Polo quote. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's the absolute truth. I don't know what to say other than I love you both very much. Oh, I mean, we love you too. Amazing. <laughs> amazing in every possible way. It's such a joyful, joyful conversation to be in your presence. 
not because of the words that you said, but because of the energy that you bring, because oh, the, of the really being much. of who you are, it is definitely a pleasure. And it's no, awesome. thank you for it's having us. Thank, oh, you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. And for all of you listening, I'm not going to even tell you what to do with this. I think this was <laughs> such a wonderful, wonderful conversation. And in every possible way, I think eye-opening on topics that matter to all of us. Uh, I think loving yourself first really registered with me the idea of if you work on yourself and love yourself enough, even if you're in a relationship, then that re relationship is not just the two of you. It's often each of you and then the two of you. I think I found that beautiful. I found the idea of really doing things that make a difference to the world without expecting them to work uh, is is really beautiful. And I have to say I found the idea of Marie Kondo being a prophet out there in the world saying, if it doesn't bring you joy, don't do it. Honestly, is powerful. It's very powerful. I think you have loved this as much as I did. So share it with others and, uh, and maybe, uh, share the beauty that you found in it with others, just what you learned in it. And, uh, yeah, take a little bit more time to slow down. We're coming, uh, to a year that I think is going to be more demanding and more stressful. So. Be very, very, very careful about your own space and about your own self-care. And one of the biggest ways you can care for yourself is to slow down. It doesn't matter how busy you are, there will always be a little bit of time to slow down. And I love you all very much for listening. And I will see you next time.